If you have any topic suggestions that you'd like to hear more about or questions that you're hoping that we could maybe address on a future podcast, you can click the Get in Touch box right on our website at ktsmoneymatters.com. And the Hardworking Woman's Guide to Money, available either on our website, KT's Money Matters, or on Amazon. Or of course, you can find our link in the show notes. Working with your investments, retirement, insurance, estate, or tax planning, or just dealing with everyday expenses, your money matters. Let KT Thomas help you make the most of it. This is KT's Money Matters. Welcome back. This is KT and KT's Money Matters. So we've been talking about financial things you need to think about over the decades. And we talked about the 20s and the fact that they were just starting out and they need to really establish a good foundation. And then the 30s, we talked about what happens as you start to become more established professionally and financially and what that means and how to manage credit and how to maybe think about buying a home. And then in the 40s, we all know how crazy the 40s were. Those of us who have survived it, are now in what I like to call the fabulous 50s. And really, 50 is the new 40. Just ask any 50-year-old. So we're going to talk a little bit about the 50s and what you should be thinking about at this juncture in your life and what kind of things do you want to put in place now. I always refer to this as like the launch pad to retirement, that 10 or 15 years before the jumping off. This is like a really, this is when, I always say like, this is like the funnest decade of my life. I'm not going to college, I'm not paying for college, and I'm not saving for college. I have all my money for myself. My kid is all grown. She's all independent. She hasn't had kids yet, so I'm not back to the magic kingdom with the grandkids. I can go on vacations with smart people in interesting places, and it's all okay. I make good money, and I can save a lot of it because in my 50s, I am statistically at my highest earning levels of my professional career. So I have money, I have income, and I can take care of myself with it. It's a very validating time. That's why it's like, I would say it's like the fabulous 50s. Because really, by now, you should have owned at least one home. Statistically, though, you've probably owned more than two. You should be thinking about things like, what are you going to do to get ready for that next period? But you're also having a lot of fun. You have more vacation time, more benefits, and more income than you've ever had on an inflation-adjusted period basis your whole life. However. You could blow it all, but you shouldn't. You need to save some of it. And you know, that's whatever, you know, I'm all about you should save because why would I write a podcast about money if I weren't telling you to save some of it? However, I always think about, I like to clean up the decks. This time in your life, I think about consolidating and eliminating debt, building a significant amount of money to fall back on and making sure that I'm not paying for things I don't need anymore. Maybe I needed it before, but I don't need it now. So first, building that nest egg. Well, why is that important? I have all this money in the 401k plan. And when I retire, I'm going to have that money. So what difference does it make if I have money in regular investments or not? Well, the first thing I'll say is that if you go to retire and all of your money is in a pre-tax retirement account, what that means is that every check you get for the rest of your life will be taxable. And it will be taxable to you at whatever rate the government decides it's taxable to you at. And there will be no way for you to plan around that. Most people believe they'll be in a lower tax rate in retirement, but what we know is that's not always true, especially for people that stepped a lot of money in the 401k plan and never saved any money anywhere else. So during your 50s, because you have more income, this is when you want to do that. You want to build an after-tax account that you can access without limitation when and how you need it when you retire. 
this will allow you to do things like limit how much taxable income you take or maybe live on it a little bit longer and decide to forego Social Security. All things we'll talk about when we get to our 60s. But what you're doing right now is you're setting yourself up to have the flexibility so that you can make the choices later. So first, building a nest egg, making sure that you're saving and that you're increasing your savings every year, that 10 years, that final five to 10 years, you want to be duffing the money away. At the same time, people coming into retirement often are working still a little bit, mostly because it's kind of hard to go from I work full time all the time to I don't work at all. And so you may be somebody who's considering a little consulting or transitional part-time work or maybe doing something you've always been passionate about, like podcasting or writing a book, to give yourself something else to focus your time on when you're not working you know, every day, all day, hard like you used to do. It's important to know how much cash flow your life needs. So how much income really do you need to manage your expenses? You're now living the lifestyle that's closest to the lifestyle you'll have in retirement. So even though I talked about this when we talked about our 40s, knowing what you live on becomes really important in your 50s because now we're going to decide to pull the plug and leave our job or not based on whether or not we think we can afford it. This is the last chance. We could work longer or we could leave. Now, if you don't have enough income to work to retire, well, guess what? You work longer. But if you've already retired and then you find out, it's kind of too late and it's not good. So you want to think, how much does my life really take? How much money am I spending on a month? How much am I spending on a year? And do I have enough money to drive that? Now, there are a million good tools out there, free in many cases, on the internet that'll allow you to do retirement plan projections, look at how much money you need based on what you say you need. But you have to know how much money you think you spend and you have to be honest about that. So you can't give them your best and most time-crunched budget and say, I can live on $40,000 a year when you really mostly spend everything you make and your take-home pay is more like 50. So you have to look at that and say, what am I living on today? Really? And if I had more time, this is the piece I think early retirees totally miss. If I have more time, would I do more than I currently do? So just because I live on $50,000 a year net today, if I had more time, I would travel more. And if I traveled more, I'd spend another $10,000 a year. Well, then you should add that into that number. The other thing people misunderstand is rates of return in the future. But if you don't know what you're spending, then it doesn't matter what it earns because you won't be invested long enough to have it matter. So you need to know what your lifestyle costs and how much your lifestyle will or won't change. One of the things that's a big component of your cash flow is what we spend on housing. Now, it used to be that you didn't retire until your mortgage was paid off. I mean, I remember when I first became a financial advisor back in the 80s, I didn't have a single retiree with a mortgage, not one. But today, I have a lot of retirees that have mortgages, some small and some not so small. And what I'll say to you is, the smaller it is, the better it is. And my happiest retirees, period, bar none, have money in the bank, and no mortgage because what they have is flexibility and they know they'll be all right. They also have like fixed income pieces, like they have a little pension, they have social security, maybe they have a little rental property. They have money that comes in every month whether the stock market goes up or down. And so they know there's always money coming in and they don't have a lot of bills where money's going out. So maybe the difference is they don't travel as much if the, you know, if things are not good, but they are fine and they never worry about going broke or selling their home, which as much as that sounds very dramatic, you should know that lots of retirees worry about selling their home and having to move or downside or change. 
And I'll speak about downsizing while we're talking about our 50s. I hear, I used to hear this all the time. I'm going to sell this big house and I'm going to net a hundred grand more than the next house. I'm going to buy the next house and I'm going to have no mortgage. And then they go up out and they buy brand new construction close to the ocean. And it's smaller, but it actually costs more all the time. Not once in a while, all the time. We are hardwired to buy up. Buying down actually is hard for us. It's hard to own a luxury vehicle and then go buy a middle-of-the-road vehicle. It's hard for us to, buy, to fly first class and go back to coach. I always say, don't buy a first class ticket unless you can buy them for the rest of your life because once you get up there, you know you're not going to want to go back. Same thing with a house. You buy a nice house with all the bells and whistles, guess what? You might buy a smaller house, but it's not going to be a cheap house. You might buy another car, but it's not going to be a cheap car because you've acquired a taste for things that are more expensive. So you should make sure that you have them for the rest of your life. Don't think you can pay that mortgage off before you retire. What I do is I look at how much money people owe on their mortgage and I say, you are 13 years away from retirement. How much money do you need to pay each year to have your mortgage pay off the year you retire? And then let's say it's, they need to put in an extra $500 a month or $6,000 a year or $7,000 a year, whatever the number is. And I say, break it down to a month and let's increase your monthly payment by that amount and let's pay that off. Or if we can't pay it off in 13 years, maybe we work till we're 15 years so that we can pay it off then. Because debt-free in retirement takes so many things that you used to worry about out of the picture. And your 50s are when you fix it. So this is the cleaning the deck, fixing it. You might still be paying for college, but you're usually not saving for the next child's college. You're at the place where it's almost over. Cash flow will get really good. Benefits and insurance get pretty good. And you don't have as many demands on your money, but you need to use this time to tidy yourself up. One area I find people can save money in their 50s is how much they're spending for things like life insurance. So I see a lot of people buy permanent cash value life insurance when they're younger, which makes sense. But sometimes they buy for big amounts of insurance that they think they're going to need when they have kids. But then as their kids grow up and grow away, they keep that old policy and they never really look. They also don't evaluate that policy annually to see whether or not what they're doing is actually working for them. They've been putting $300 a month in here forever and they haven't looked at it in 10 years. I would say to you that if you are 50 and it's been a while since you've looked at any of that, You want to do an insurance review, a complete insurance review. You want to look at home, you want to look at car, and you want to look at life insurance. Because what's happened over the years is you've gotten older, so life insurance has become more expensive inside the policy. So if you're funding one with the cash value, thinking later it's going to be some big amount of money, you're really not actually sure what it's supposed to be, and you're not looking, guess what? It's probably not going to be what you thought. doesn't make it bad, but you're going to want to look and see whether or not you have a policy full of riders because riders are way that insurance agents make more money. And if you need the protection, you get more protection. So like as an example, you can have a rider on your policy that says, pay my premiums if I'm too sick and I can't pay my own premiums. You could have one that says, pay my premiums if I lose my job and I can't pay my premiums. You might have one that reinvests dividends to buy more insurance. And even if you have term insurance through work and you think you're doing well, you should know that term insurance becomes pretty expensive at 55 and you might want to look at that death benefit through work and see if it still makes sense. And then if you're well, you might actually want to price that outside of your current employer where you may find that you do better. So group insurance through work is priced based on the bundle, right? So like on a mix of all 50-year-olds as an example. And you might be, oh, I don't know, you're, you know, I'm 55. You might be like me. I'm out biking and running and swimming every day. I'm really healthy. I don't smoke, I participate in sports, blah, blah, blah. 
I'm considered, you know, really healthy. But if I go get group insurance with everybody else, I'm considered average. And for me, I might get better rates if I take the time to shop. And you might too. So there are a lot of companies out there like uh, Select Quote, where you can get, you know, where they'll shop 25 different companies and figure out what makes sense. And you can compare that to your group policy to see whether or not you're actually getting a better deal on your insurance or it's just easier. The other thing you need to look at is what you're paying for your homeowner's insurance and your car insurance. So a lot of times we have our kids on our car insurance and we forgot to take them off, but they never drive the cars anymore. We sometimes have too much insurance on our car insurance because our agent just kept saying this would be great too. And we never actually looked at it and compared it to other insurance. This is really true in our 50s. In our 40s, we're trying to find the money all the time. We're more likely to shop it. But in our 50s, we are more likely to become lazy about these things because we think we've looked at it already. We don't need to look at it now. But that's actually not true. There can be real money saved in how we structure our life insurance at this time in our life by either making sure that we don't have more than we need or that we have the right type or that we're funding it at the premium that makes sense given the competitive landscape. Same thing with homeowners insurance. You know, I think today most people understand that if you bundle your home and your life insurance, you can get a discount on both. But what most people don't understand is that your agent isn't necessarily incented to get you a better cost of insurance. In fact, the, like, the, the opposite is likely to be true. They're likely to be incented by getting people to stay in the same insurance. So people that stay with the same insurance company over a number of years and don't change it, the insurance agent likely gets compensated better for that. So what you need to know is not that your insurance agent is bad. I have one. I use them too. It's that my needs are not always aligned with their compensation. And it's just important to understand that. Same thing with life insurance writers. Their job is sell insurance. That doesn't mean their job is to give you advice about how, how much insurance you should have or how you should buy it. They sometimes will offer you advice. And sometimes their advice is for you and your best interests. I don't think they mean to deceit you, but you should know that they're actually compensated differently. So you want to just make sure you understand that. This is why every once in a while, I think you should go out and get a quote on your life, your health, you know, if you're self-employed, your health insurance, but your life insurance, your car insurance, and your homeowner's insurance. And I would say that you'd want to shop that and make sure that what you're getting is what makes sense. There's this other little thing that happens out there, insurance. You know, sometimes I hear these things, they just make me crazy and I feel compelled to sell it out, say it out loud. One of the things I hear all the time is, their insurance agent told them not to file a small claim because they could get dropped by their insurance company if they file a claim. And I said, well, what the heck would you have the insurance for if you can't go get a claim on it? Like, why would you pay for it if it's not going to help you? This seems stupid to me. It just seems dumb. Why would I pay them for insurance and pay to have a $2,000 deductible if I'm going to eat something that's $3,000 because I don't want to file a small claim because they might drop me? So I have a friend who's in the property casualty business and I just asked him, I'm like, are you guys compensated? Is your compensation affected by the number of claims you get? And he said, yeah, actually it is. There are bonuses for agents that have smaller claims. And I said, so when they tell you, don't file a claim for this, is part of that really self-serving? And he said, yeah, actually it is. So you need to understand that these people aren't necessarily bad people, but they're actually not working for you. They represent the insurance company in each one of these cases. And you want to make sure you understand what you get and what you pay for. Even though now you have more money, it doesn't mean you just throw it away on people and things that you don't actually need and use that money towards things that you actually do need. So I always say that in your 50s, if you're going to buy some kind of long-term care or risk insurance, you want to think about this in your 50s. It becomes very expensive later on. But the thing that I always say is that today, 
this market is evolving. So the long-term care insurance that your mother looked at or your parents looked at or your big brother bought 15 years ago, very different today, the options that are available. And that is good news. Why? Because long-term care insurance has become difficult. It's sort of like a moving target. People are getting older and they're living longer and nobody really understands what the cost of this will be in the future. So long-term care companies have the right to change the premium for you based on their claims ability, their claims records for people in your age group. So if you buy your long-term care insurance when you're 60 and they start having more risks for people that are in their 60s, they can change the rate for everybody that ever bought it when they were in their 60s. But they can't change it for people who bought it when they were in 50s unless they can prove that 50-year-olds are having higher claims rating. So it's actually better to buy long-term insurance if you're going to buy it younger because you lock in your young age for the rest of your life. And that can be very valuable. But with that said, there are lots of different ways to carry this risk today. In fact, one of the things you can do is potentially convert an old life insurance policy to a life insurance policy that has a long-term care rider and then have life insurance with your long-term care insurance combined. And then that way you're not paying a separate premium for something and you're using it kind of either way. If I need it for care, it's going to be used for care. And if not, and I die, I get the death benefit. And that allows you to always get something for the money you put in versus long-term care today. Typically you pay for it and it's sort of a use it or lose it. And so, you know, what happens is people pay for long-term care insurance. Many cancel later on because they say, oh, this is a lot of money and I'm, I don't really see the benefit. And we'll talk about this in a future podcast. You know, what do you have to be thinking about in your 70s or your 80s? But what I'll say to you is that when and if someone in your family that you love gets sick and needs chronic care, depending upon where you live in America, you could expect those bills to be as little as $40,000 a year or as much as $90,000 or $100,000 a year. But on average, $75,000 to $80,000 per year. And I'll tell you what, most people aren't taking that out of their cash reserve. So you really need to think about whether or not you are going to live with this risk and you could choose to what I call self-insure. You have enough money that if you got sick, you could pay for it. Maybe not ideal, but you could handle it and you're okay with that. Or you're going to transfer the risk to somebody else, either part of the risk or all of the risk. I never recommend transferring all of the risk because I think that you're just making insurance companies rich. But the idea of transferring the part of the risk that you're unwilling to pay for yourself or you're unable to pay for yourself. So a small policy to offset some of the cost versus the policy that made the insurance agent buy the big brand new house and you actually went broke paying for it. But in your 50s, you make these decisions. You're also in your 50s, closer to retirement than you'll ever be during your working career. How much more conservative should your investment portfolio get? That depends much about you and where you are to your retirement date. So if you're 10 years from retirement, do you need to become more conservative? I would say probably not. I say to my clients, likely that starts around five years from retirement and you ease into it a little bit each year, becoming a little bit more conservative because in five years, the portfolio has to be ready to provide you a check every month. But you want to start thinking about that. If you're unsure, this is when you want to get some advice for how you think about setting up your income distribution. Do you have enough to do what you're supposed to do? You're not going to make decisions about social security at this age, but you'll want to understand what the options are as they are today so that you can start thinking about which direction you're going in. So really in your 50s, you want to clean the deck, pay the bills, eliminate the mortgage if you can, and build some cash. You want to try to pay less on the insurance you don't need and spend some money on the insurance that you might need. And you want to set yourself up so that when you come to retirement, you cross over that threshold, feeling really confident that you're ready and that it's affordable for the rest of your life. 
Thanks for listening to KT's Money Matters with KT Thomas. For more information, past episodes, and show notes, go to www.ktsmoneymatterspodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe and recommend it at iTunes, Overcast, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.